Welcome to the South Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, friends. How are you doing today? If you're visiting, my name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. We're really glad you chose to visit us today. I am one of the soon-to-be vacationing pastors here. I have some vacation time coming up, and I've, I've been trying all week to hold this like posture of like, don't look like you've checked out, don't look like you've checked out, don't look like you've checked out. I nearly wore Birkenstocks on stage this morning. I was like, let's just let people know. I'm going on vacation. Life is going to be good. We're off to England to visit family, and and... My family have been sending me some pictures of, of the burnt grass there because it hasn't rained in, in weeks. And then I was walking yesterday and I took a picture of this out in the, the green space. For once, not the ironically named green space in Highlands Ranch, but the actual literal green space. And I feel like there's been a flip here. And so maybe I'm, I'm getting my, my water fix now and I'm going off to a land of dryness. Who knows? Uh, as normal, if you want to ask a question about something I say today, if you want to uh, just get involved in a conversation on a podcast, there's the number. You can text in. We'd love to hear from you. It's something that Aaron and I do every week and it's always just fun to follow tangents together to kind of meander. This is the, the last week we'll be in this series that we've called simply Pentecost. It's this idea that a couple of thousand years ago, there's this moment that can be called the birth of the church. That after Jesus' death and resurrection, there's this moment where he says to his earliest followers, okay, now the work continues with you. He actually goes as far as to say this in John chapter 16. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, this is the Holy Spirit, this Paraclete is the Greek word. Will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. This uncomfortable idea that Jesus suggests that the spirit inside you and I is greater than Jesus beside you. That's what we're invited to as a community of people. John Stott said, as a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. This is how life happens in church. This is how it takes shape by this interaction with this person of the Holy Spirit. Now, if that all sounds like just you're not sure what's going on there, I'll catch you up. Don't worry about it. But it's, it's this invite to a different way of living. Henry Blackaby some years ago said, will God ever ask you or I to do something you are not able to do? Uh, the beautiful answer is yes. All the time, it must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world, and he, he does that beautifully through people like you and I. There's this moment where I step off from this platform, and I, like you, go out into the world and live a particular way, a particular life. Now, the challenge to being someone who stands on the platform is, is if someone comes who says, I'm not sure about Jesus, I'd love to be convinced, well, they expect me to live like Jesus. There's an expectation, well, of course the pastor does that. Of course the priest does that. Of course the person leading worship does that. But when all of us together go and live lives that look like Jesus in the world around us, that's a compelling thing. 
That, that's a life-changing thing. Uh, a pastor I used to work for used to say this as a mantra, change doesn't happen when I preach a good sermon on Sunday. It happens when we all together live it on Monday. And so that, that, that is the call of the church, to be those types of people. So as we get into this last week, I have a question for you that's going to get us to some of this Holy Spirit thing. Do you ask for help? Are you someone that finds it easy to ask for help? Maybe grade yourself on like one to ten. Are you, a, are you an asker for help? Do you like help? Maybe an A through F. Maybe do you get a passing grade? Some of you are great at it, I'm sure. Like you can ask for help in almost anything. I realized some years ago, I am terrible at about asking for help. I don't, I don't like doing it. I, I, just, I just try and resist. I want to be competent in, in every area, it seems. And I started to notice this. I started to become, my wife's laughing because she's like, yes, you don't, know." Uh, I, I started to notice this when I started to travel. Uh, I went to the country of Haiti maybe six times in a couple of years. And, and, and I noticed that in Haiti, as in many developing countries, you go anywhere and there's all of these people that want to help you, want to connect with you. So you go to somewhere like Basson Blue, this beautiful swimming spot where you can find these waterfalls, you can dive off cliffs, you can swim in these beautiful blue waters, and, and all of these people will appear out of nowhere and, and just assume that they are now your guide. And if you're not careful, you end up paying five people for the same job at the end of your expedition. You go to the marketplace and there's five or six people that will appear and they'll call you very complimentary things. They'll call you something like big man or something like that that just makes you feel like a million dollars and, and they want to sell you stuff and they want to sell you their stuff. So they'll take you to the best things and they always turn out to be the things they are, are selling. And, and I, no, I noticed that I, I didn't like this because it made made it seem like I wasn't a local, which I'm not. Made it feel like I didn't fit in, which I don't. So I learned this deflection that worked brilliantly all the time. I would just simply say this, je ne suis pas un touriste. I am not a tourist. I am not a tourist, even though clearly I was a tourist. And, and I noticed this, this is a culture, right? There's these people that make these t-shirts. I'm not a tourist, I live here. And I thought perhaps this was just a Haiti thing. Perhaps I just love this country and want to feel like I belong in some way. But I noticed it extended beyond Haiti. When we moved to New York, although we lived up sedate, whenever we went to the city, I wanted people to think that I knew the city, that I belonged there when people would come and try and sell me tickets to go see the Statue of Liberty on a ferry. I would be very keen to point out, look, I can just get on the Staten Island ferry for free and I can, I can go straight past it. And, and if you ever go to New York City, I've just saved you like tens of dollars. Uh, you're welcome. I wanted people to think that I was a local. And I've tried to become better, and we'll talk about this a little later, I've tried to become better at recognizing there's lots of ways that I need help and lots of ways that I need a guide in so many different areas, and there's some beauty in that. But one area that I've still struggled to accept is that I need help with directions. I, I still don't like having to ask for directions, and I still resent that I can ask my phone for directions and that my phone can be the one that tells me how to get home. And occasionally, in a poorly chosen moment, when our kids are exhausted, I'll say to my wife, why don't we just not put anything in the GPS? We'll just go on an adventure and we'll somehow try and find our way home. And it never goes down. Well, some of us, if we're honest, we don't want directions. 
We want to figure it out ourselves. We don't want help. We want to take the furniture out of the box and not look at the instructions and just figure out how it becomes the thing that it is supposed to be. And some of us, it's not about want. Some of us are just bad at following directions. Some of us can't follow directions. As exampled here by the brilliant Michael Scott in this wonderful moment. So if you've not seen The Office, this is, this is a moment that's actually divisive for fans of the series because it's like maybe even too stupid for Michael Scott. It's like even beyond him and, and what he should do. It's this moment where someone clearly can't follow directions. The, the passage we're looking at today, it speaks into some of our need for help and our willingness to receive it, our need for a guide and our willingness to accept one. And need for, for, for God to come alongside us and lead us in what is the best way to live. And so we return again for a third week to John chapter 14. We're going to start this week in verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The works I have been doing, you will do. That's the tension we've been wrestling with all week. When does that happen? How does that happen? If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, this word paraclete we'll get to, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while with you, but the advocate, Again, Paraclete, this person, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus says that there'll be things now that you don't understand, things now that I've spoken about and you don't understand, things now that I have not yet taught you and the Holy Spirit will come and do that work. Brilliantly, we're actually watching it happen right now in this text. John is writing maybe 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He's recording memories of things that Jesus has done and said, and he has these moments where he says, oh, I suddenly realize what that means. The Holy Spirit is doing that work. We had a moment where we said, is there a hymn that you would like to be sung? Oh, you feel that we should sing, and we, we listened. This process is, is old, it happens there, and it still happens today. How many of you that would say you follow Jesus would say that at some point you feel like God has given you a scripture, like it's just popped into your head? Just throw up a hand if that's ever happened to you. You've, you've just had this moment where it seems like, yeah, this is the scripture for me right now. How many of you was that a scripture that you'd never read before, that was completely new? So some, right, but less. Sometimes you, you have that happen. You have that moment where you, you, you have this words come into your mind and you find it later, but, but often it's something that we've read and, and God brings it back to our mind. That, that seems to be the same process that he's talking about here. You get to read a text and later it's illuminated. Perhaps something stands out to you in that moment. This is some of what Jesus promised would happen. Uh, this word 
paraclete, this word that we translate maybe helper, maybe comforter, it literally means to come alongside. It's so connected to that idea that when J.B. Phillips translated the New Testament into modern English, he said, if you really love me, you will keep the commandments I have given you, and I shall ask the Father to give you someone else to stand by you to be with you always. The picture given of this Holy Spirit is someone who's in constant company with you and I, who is doing life along with you and I. Could be comforter, could be helper, could be counselor, and that that helper image is the one that we're gonna land on today, that guide image, someone who instructs you on life, who comes and brings back to memory the things Jesus has said, and then leads you into truth there, leads you and I into truth there. J.I. Packer said this, it is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus, who stands facing us. So to have a relationship with Jesus, as we often use that language, is to be taught by this Holy Spirit. So imagine the sign as you walked in, you walked into the entranceway and you saw in big letters, living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And now imagine that you walked in in the pitch black and you can't see anything, including the sign. It says Jesus on the wall, but you're oblivious to that fact. And then the floodlight comes on behind you and it illuminates the wall and suddenly you see this big sign in front of you. J.I. Packer suggests the same thing is happening when you and I come to follow Jesus for ourselves. Something has shone light on Jesus in that moment and that, that is the work of this Holy Spirit, this gift to the church. <laughs> We see this start to take shape in the book of Acts as they go and do what what seems to be like God's general will. He says to his first followers, go and share this message of Jesus everywhere, and they do. They do what John Wesley would later call, go and do all the good you can in all the ways you can for as long as ever you can. Just go into the world, find people to share this message with, do good to the poor, just take this message and go. And yet there's moments where it seems like there's a more specific place for them to go. Check this out, as Paul, this first follower of Jesus, is going off into different areas of what is now Europe or Mesopotamia. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Don't worry about the names. It's not continental United States, but it's out there. But follow the the track of the purpose. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's this moment where they're going different places and then there's a specific no, don't go to that place. And a specific yes, go to that place. There is the Holy Spirit standing alongside guiding them, teaching them, helping them. One of the tensions that has occurred, I think, over following Jesus is that there's been many people that have started to follow Jesus, started to read through the texts, and then felt like something was missing. The revivalist John Wimber said this, he started going to church as a young man, maybe 19, 20 years old, and as he started to get connected with this church, they said, well, we've got a small group for you to join. We've got a Bible study for you to go to. And after a few weeks, he went to the pastor and said, I have this question that's just been going around in my head for a few weeks now. When do we do the stuff? When do we do the stuff? 
And the pastor said, well, you're already in a small group. You're doing great. You're already in a Bible study. Like things seem to be going well. You're doing the stuff. And he said, no, no, no. Like the stuff I'm reading about. I'm reading Acts and there's all this stuff that happens. When do we do the stuff? There's been a tension that has lurked in the church. For a while, there's this offer that Jesus makes that this Holy Spirit will come alongside us. He will give us power to do the things that he did, to be the people that Jesus said we could be. He will be a comforter in the difficult moments when we go and when life is hard. And and that passage we just read in Acts, where God specifically says, go to this place and not that place. Well, a few verses later, Paul and his friends are beaten and thrown into jail. It is not a recipe for getting what you want out of life. There's finally this offer that God will be your guide through this Holy Spirit and, and will lead you into the way that he wants you to go. The question that kind of lurks in all of that is what stops me experiencing the Holy Spirit as helper? What stops me experiencing that kind of life? If that's what Jesus has for me, what's, what's maybe missing at times? And maybe you would ask the same question. Last week, we wrestled with the tension of do the comfortable need a comforter? If you're comfortable, do you really need someone to come alongside you and give you comfort if everything is good? Uh, maybe the same tension is at play this week too. Do the self-sufficient need a helper? Do the self-sufficient need a helper? If generally, like, I kind of got this. Like, I'm trying hard to raise good kids. I'm trying to have a good marriage. I'm trying to do well in school. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do all these things. I'm trying to advance in my career. Whatever it is, like, do you need someone to help you? Do I need someone to help me in that moment? It's like, does self-sufficiency say, no, no, there's no need whatsoever for a helper? Jesus suggests the Holy Spirit can be a helper, a guide, all of those different synonyms, and yet it seems like for that to happen, there might be a need. What I would suggest as an overall thesis is this. You need to need the help, and you need to trust the helper. You need to need the help, and you need to trust the helper. And so maybe there's a couple of tensions in play there. Maybe there's a couple of experiences that I've had that you might have had that would unpack some of that because the first possibility is this, and this has a couple of nuances to it too. Maybe the one is this idea that I don't need the help. I don't need the helper. The assumption Jesus seems to have and his first followers seem to have is that that you and I would take an active part in this faith. Aaron alluded to it when he said it's not just about him picking songs, it's about participation. And and that becomes more true when we scatter, when, when we leave this place and we go out into the world around us. In actual fact, we see that with the first disciples. There's this moment where it says they were scattered, not because they went home, not because they went to lunch, not because they had lunch reservations or or whatever, but because there was persecution of the church and those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Wherever these first followers went, something happened. There were were events that were like Jesus' events, and they continued everywhere. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. But even he acknowledges this sense of need. If this is going to happen, it's going to happen not because of me, but because of something working through me. So perhaps there's this tension that I need to acknowledge that maybe 
I don't live the kind of life that needs that kind of person and that kind of power or that kind of gifting. And then maybe the other nuance in play in this one is that I'm just not aware that there's that kind of gift on offer, that that kind of person wants to help me. There's this beautiful picture that I'm going to show you, a piece of artwork from a while ago. This is by Andrei Rublev. It's known as the Trinity or the Oak Trees at Mamre. If you Google Andrei Rublev, it will show you this guy. And he did not paint this, just so you're aware. Uh, tennis player, doing very well. Great to have him on the tour, I'm sure, but not a painter of religious artwork from the 13th century, just in case that wasn't clear. This picture is much older than that. As I say, a few hundred years old. It's based on this tiny little story in Genesis chapter 16. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down low to the ground. This, this text has fascinated people because it starts off very much one, right? It's the Lord appeared to Abraham. God appeared to Abraham at the oak trees of Mamre. And then it starts talking about three persons. And so for many years, it's been like, well, is this God and angels? Is this just three people? Who is this that we're talking about? But, but Rublev read it and saw, well, this seems to me like Trinity, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we created this artwork, and, and you see the three figures, and the first figure on the left is the Father, and he wears gold because he, is from, he represents heaven. And, and the, the table that you see in between them, that represents the earth. So he's the most distant from the table. He sits on it, but he doesn't touch it. And in the middle, you have the sun, and he wears red because he gave his blood for the earth. He died for it, and his two fingers represent the work that he has done and his dual nature as God and man. And then the third figure is the spirit. And he wears blue and green because those are the colors of earth and his whole hand is on the table because he's the one that was most or is most associated with earth and is most present on it now in this era that we live in. The suggestion of the icon, the heartbeat of the icon is this, is the Holy Spirit is as followers of Jesus, the person of the Trinity that we should have the most regular interaction with. In the Nicene Creed, it says this, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. We're told that this Spirit is this gift to the church, but most of us, as we've touched on each week, would say, we feel kind of distant. Perhaps he's unknown to us. He's still a mystery to us. Perhaps if we're honest, he's ignored by us as a church. And so it's possible that, that simply when I say that we don't need help, it's, it's just simply that we don't know that this kind of help is on offer, and yet this seems to be inherently the, the life that God designed us for. I'm gonna show you a couple of pictures. I've shown them before because I found them so helpful in terms of people understanding what Christian life following Jesus should look like, what life in the spirit should look like. And I'm gonna ask you which of these depicts best in picture form the spiritual life that you live. Is it this one? Or is it this one? This one, 
Oh, I broke something. There's a lot of energy there. There's a lot of work there. There's teamwork, that's a good thing, right, surely? But there's, there's just like the power comes from these people. If the boat moves, it's on them. They make it happen. They do the work. They live the life. Or is it this one? Now, I've been accused in the past of making it sound like sailing is not hard work and sailors have it easier. And we have a few sailors in the church that, that maybe kind of resent that. And I'm not saying it's not difficult. It might be very difficult. I actually don't know. I have no idea whatsoever. But it's not your power when you sail, right? Your job is to catch the wind, to raise the sails in such a way that they drive the boat forward. They are the power source. The wind is the power source. And, and remember, in almost every language in the world, wind and spirit are the same language. Breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word. So when you think about breath, think about spirit. Your job in sailing is to catch spirit. Your job in the Christian life, perhaps you might say, is to, to catch the wind of the Spirit, this power source that you've been given to live by. And yet, so often, if I'm honest, my spiritual life looks like this. It's like I'm going to work, and I'm going to make it happen, and I'm going to drive and drive and drive. I've just started rowing regularly and on the rowing machines down at the gym, and there's, there's these machines that give you a coach, and he constantly pushes you, like, we're going to hit another plateau. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And there's just a chance that that's what Christian life can feel like. There's a pastor that says, let's go, guys. Let's go beyond the next plateau. And, and yet the whole picture was supposed to be this. It was supposed to be catching the wind of the Spirit and allowing that to be the power source for how we live. Maybe we don't feel like we need help because we don't realize that kind of help is even on offer. We've been told we've got to do this uh, selves. Have you ever had someone say to you something like, you know what my favorite passage of scripture is? The one where it says God helps those who help themselves. It would be nice if it was in there. Actually, it wouldn't be nice if it was in there. It would be terrible if it was in there, but that can be the implication to following Jesus. And maybe you just don't know that you need the help, and maybe I just don't know that we need the help. But there's another thing that I think is more pernicious that under the surface, what I wonder is this. Maybe we feel like we don't deserve the help. Maybe we don't feel like we deserve the help. Have you ever been in a, like maybe something like an eschatology class or a book of the Revelation study and there's this moment where people are talking about this moment that Jesus will return at some point and that's this expectation. And maybe you've thought, I kind of hope he holds on for just a little while. Now, maybe that's just because you're about to get married or you're about to have a kid or there's some life event that you're like, I'd love to experience that, but, but maybe it's also this. Maybe there's this moment where you say something like, kind of like to get better at a few things before he comes back. Kind of like to get better at praying. I'd like to be a good prayer before Jesus makes his return. I'd like to live a good life before Jesus. I'd like to become a better husband before Jesus comes back. There's this sense of like, if I could just get myself into better shape, like life would be good and then Jesus can come back and, and then he'd be happy with me. But the undercurrent to that is not healthy, right? That's not the purpose. That's not the story we're invited to. Brendan Manning said, in my experience, self-hatred is the dominant malaise crippling Christians and stifling, stifling, stifling? their growth in the Holy Spirit. 
self-hatred is the dominant malaise, this sense of, I'm just not worth God's interest. Why would he want to live life? Why would he want to participate with the mess that is in here? Why would he be interested in that? It might be that you don't know that you need help. It might be that I don't know that I need help, but it also might be I feel like under the surface I don't really deserve help. Paul wrestles with this with a group of people in a church in Galatia. He writes this letter to them that's kind of harsh in chapter three. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. You were told the story. Jesus gave his life for you. You accepted that. You accepted what he did on your behalf. That's the basis for all of this. That's what he says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? This invitation by Paul, this this critique of them by Paul is simply, we started really well. You started believing that you didn't deserve any of this, but God did it for you anyway. And now you're kind of like, I'm gonna, now I'm gonna drive this home. I'm gonna, I'm gonna row the oars and I'm gonna get myself over the finish line as quickly as possible. It might be that we don't feel like we know that we need help. And it might also be that we feel like we don't deserve help. And maybe when the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and said, I'd love to be your guide and your helper and love to do life with you. We say, I just, I just don't feel like I'm worth it. Why would you look on a dead dog like me? Whatever the language piece is. Regardless of your struggle, which of the first two you, which of those two you feel like, no, that that typifies me a little more. There's this beautiful idea that, well, actually confession is the answer. Now, if you grew up in a certain background, confession might get a bad rap uh, or might have a bad rap to you. It's this idea that we go to a priest, perhaps, and we do this confession process, or it's, or it's actually just a lot of saying, I'm sorry. And confession might include saying you're sorry, but at its heartbeat, it isn't about sorry. At its heartbeat, it's about saying the same as Have you ever had those moments in like an argument, perhaps with a parent, perhaps with a roommate, perhaps with a husband or wife, where where you know that you're wrong? And maybe they want to hear sorry, but actually what they want to hear at its heartbeat is, I agree with you. You were right about this. I'm jumping over to your side now. I've had this like opposite posture. No, I'm, I'm coming alongside. I'm saying, no, no, you were, you were in the right, my dear. Maybe some of you have never heard that from your spouse or parents or whatever, but there's this, that's what confession is. Confession is coming and saying, no, I agree. I agree with you on this. Confession can be simply coming into agreement and saying when someone asks you a question about a movie, saying, no, I haven't seen that movie yet. It's just, it's, it's got this core of honesty to it. Confession might be, I am a tourist. I don't know my way around here. I do need a guide. Je suis un touriste. I don't belong. I don't fit. It might be saying, I I am a traveler on the road. I think you and I often have this tendency to live life believing that we should have it all covered, that we we should have it together. We believe we should know this earth that we're kind of journeying on, that we're figuring out as we go. And the beautiful invitation of this Holy Spirit is, I know this earth way better than you do. I know this life way better than you do. 
You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to figure out the directions as you go. I want to figure that out with you. I want to guide. I want to help. That's the invitation. Confession is simply saying, God, I didn't realize how much I needed help, but I acknowledge that I do. Confession is simply saying, I don't feel like I deserve your help, but I accept it anyway. Confession is simply saying that, God, you are right about the world, and I often don't have it right. Confession is saying I don't have it all together, and you know that, but I would love you to journey with me. I would love you to guide me. One of the things I've learned about not asking for help is that actually for years it's robbed me of the joy of going to people and saying, talk to me about this like I know nothing because I often know nothing. And then you get someone to journey alongside you and help you put the pieces into place. That's what we're invited to do in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, to acknowledge I don't have it together. I'm not okay. I do need the help, especially when I don't deserve it. Aaron and Cara and the team are gonna lead us in a song that's gonna reflect that. It's this idea of I need you more. But I'd love to give you a couple of pieces of liturgy that can maybe make this a little more concrete. In a moment, we're going to read something together as a confession. But Psalm 25 is this beautiful thing that you can read this week. Look at the words that David writes. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. It's these beautiful words of surrender that simply say, I need your paths, not my paths. I need your help to walk this journey. This is your earth, you made it. I don't know it anywhere near as well as I think I do. I am definitely still a tourist in this place. I would love you to journey alongside me. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Would you stand with me, friends? And we're going to read this together, and then we're going to sing. We confess, loving God, that all too often... We do not open our lives to the power of your Holy Spirit. We tend to ignore the Spirit rather than call on its fire to burn within us and strengthen us for our life with you. We limp through life drawing strength from poor substitutes and wondering why our faith lacks the vitality we desire. Wrap us up in the Spirit's arms that we would joyfully welcome the divine wind rushing through us. Forgive us, O God, for these and all our sins as we confess in silence. And as Aaron begins to lead, maybe there's just areas of your life that you're like, didn't know I need the help, didn't feel like I deserved it. The invitation is to continue that process of confession. One of the practices that has just brought life to me is just those moments of just Telling God what I see the situation as. I'm really scared to do this. 
I'm worried that this won't work and that people will notice it won't work. I don't feel able to do this. I don't have enough energy. Simply coming alongside and saying, God, you already know this. Would you work with me? Would you work with this mess that's in my core? And would you keep shaping something beautiful out of it? Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. And thanks for listening. We hope you have a great rest of your day.